Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Storytelling. And that to me, that's what comics are all about, right? It's storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, having great artists is wonderful, but... Uh, you know, you're, you're McFarland. And uh, for me, it was George Perez. You know, oh, okay. I, I, I came up on new teen Titans. So the Wolfman Perez team is like the standard uh, for me. And uh, luckily the guy I work with a lot, Greg, he's about the same. I think he's maybe two years older than me or something like that. So he came up on the exact same stuff. So we have a, a very similar sensibility and, um, the type of things we like and uh yeah that's that's made it a, a pretty good uh effort and uh process yeah yeah well i mean i think that even applies to like um like animated stuff you know um batman the animated series you know it has that like deceptively simple style mm-hmm. um i've been reading a lot of uh chris amney lately and uh he has like this very animated simplistic style but um, you know, in exchange for like a little bit like thicker lines and cartoony animated look, um, these simple designs, they convey so much through the acting, you know, and through the facial right. expressions. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what really gets me about some of that stuff is people look at it and they're like, oh, yeah, it's so simple, you know, like big lines, broad lines, uh, simple design, you know, but um, the, the kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. The kind of things that you can tell with the faces and the motions and stuff, you know. Right it just makes all the storytelling flow in such a different way than um, a lot of these like more hyper-realistic comics and things like that. Which there's nothing wrong with those. There's, there's room yeah. for everything. I, I think, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. Sure. Department of truth has uh Martin Simmons on it right now. And he has like this incredibly like abstract uh, style, you know, but it just works, you know, the page flows, you know, and I think that's, the most important element is like making the page flow. Like the story should flow in a certain direction as you're, you know, that's how you tell that story is to build and just kind of like, you know, you need to, to, to guide the reader or else right. they don't know where to go next, you know? Right. And it's the same thing with the, uh, the lettering, like we were talking about, it's got to flow and, and guide the reader. And uh, that's something I try to, to be mindful of. And which is why I do rewrites. Cause I, you'll see things sometimes where, you know, they're cramming this big balloon in a space, or I've even seen where they shrink the text. So it doesn't match the other panels and and, yeah, things like that. Just, they, they, they They stand out. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. It happens. I mean, um, I listened to, there's a podcast by, um, his name is Aditya Bhattikar, I believe. Okay. He uh he does the lettering for um he's on a couple books right now but Department of Truth has kind of been a breakout for him. He does the lettering on there and so he has a podcast him and uh, a friend of his and they it's called uh Letters and Lines and they talk about like matching all your you know they're talking about like lettering and stuff mostly and just like design and layout but um they talk often about like how they'll try to like match the line so when they get the artwork the line work they try to match the line and figure out like what thickness of line am I going for? And then find a, uh, a, a font that matches that line, you know, they kind of blends with it and find something that works with it. And that's kind of how they usually start building their font library for those books, you know? 
That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. They say, uh, you know, like basically they'll just get a pen and try to mark next to some of the artwork until they just feel the perfect line, you know, and then they can kind of go back and start matching that to everything. See, I love stuff like that. I, I, yeah. I, any kind of process stuff like that, I eat that up. It's it's a lot of fun. Um, in fact, like a lot of – so when I started with this, uh, it was back in the 90s, and, you know, it was image – did their thing and you're like, wow. And then, you know, all these other little things popped up and it seemed like the possibilities were limitless. And um, I started going to uh, conventions and I was like, okay, what am I going to, you know, I want to go meet some of these people who, who make this cool stuff that I love. And so what am I going to do as far as interact with them? And, you know, I found out you could get sketches from artists and I was like, that's cool. So what am I going to get? Am I going to get a Spider-Man or something like, well, they probably get asked to draw Spider-Man all the time. So yeah, I'll, I'll, and it, I mean, it's multifaceted, but for this part of it, I'm like, I'll, I'll bring them my own character and maybe that'll be something interesting and different for them. And maybe they'll en- enjoy that. Um, there are a few other reasons I started up, uh, you know, uh, just uh, I wanted to do a character from this region because I felt like some of the things that had been published weren't exactly right. Um so I thought, well, you know, I'm from here. Maybe I can uh, nail down some of those uh, those little things that that make it more authentic. Uh, I'll, I'll talk to you more about that later. <laughs> but um, so yeah, so I started, you know, just coming up with characters and stuff, and I'd bring them around. And uh, it, what was fun is once I had a, enough characters, I would give them examples and say, "You pick one." So it was always interesting to see what character a different artist would pick. And I have probably like uh, 150 of these now from from over the years. And uh, it's just I wanted to make an art book out of them. And I talked to a lawyer and the lawyer said, well, because it's not explicitly work for hire, you really shouldn't. Uh, So that's I I just post them on the humid press accounts on social media now. uh, Yeah. Uh, it's a fun thing. But anyway. Um, yeah, I always enjoy those posts. I love, uh, oh, what do you call it? Come, the vault or something? Jambalaya. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I see those posts every now and then. I'm like, oh, this is so cool, you know? Yeah. That, that's what the name of the book was going to be. Um, and so anyway, uh, it got to the point where I was like, you know, because in the back of your mind, you're like, yeah, I'd like to do a comic with this. And uh you know, over the years, the kind of story would develop in my head. I didn't really write it down. And uh, a few years ago, I'm, I'm like, you know, you're not getting any younger. If you're going to do this, you better get on it. And uh, so I started, uh, you know, I did a, I did a one page, which is the um, the pie ad that is in the front of Taffy Jack. And Jack. yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's the first. Of, so actually, the first thing I did was the ash can of Tex-Mex. Yeah. So let me show, uh, you know, cause you, you run, uh, yeah, that mirroring effect, huh? Yeah. Uh, so you run humid press and, uh-huh. uh, that you're, you're down here in Houston. And, um, I walked into a comic book shop. I saw basically this one, but the larger version, the full version. Right. Uh, so I bought that. And, uh, since then we've talked, I've read some of the other books and you sent me this incredible ash can. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I'm talking about, 
Yeah, and so I wanted to show this too because there's it, it reminds me of like how DC is the best at those ads. Like they plan them in there. I read them every time. Like, wait, what's going on? And then halfway <laughs> through the ad, I'm like, oh, this is an ad, you know. And so these were the same. Like they would get me every time. I would like flip, and I'm like, wait, did we change to a different character? And then well, we get down here toward the. I'm like, oh, it's the. And, and as far as I'm concerned, that story right there is canon and in continuity. Uh, so that right there is Mudbug's first appearance. Okay. Uh, in the ash can. Uh, but I ran that again in the front of uh, the Taffy Jack comic. And so I did that. Uh, I, I, I scripted that and I, I did did layout for it, real rough layout for the, that. And I uh, got Cody Chamberlain to do the art. And he did the colors and the lettering as well. And so that was my first like kind of success, right? And I, I, I loved it, and I'm like, okay, I can do this, right? You know, mm-hmm. I like how this came out. I feel good about it. And so um, that's when I, I found Greg on uh, a Facebook group. He was advertising for work, and um, the first thing I did is just I did a uh, like two pages, the first two pages of, of Taffy Jack with him. Uh, just as a tryout, because I had those pages in mind, how that was going to happen. I didn't have the whole story yet. And uh, so he did those two pages. And it, 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 what I was trying to do is I was going to try to ink the book and uh, have him do the uh, just do like pencils. Uh, and I found that uh, the pencils I asked for, I didn't ask for super tight pencils because I figured mm-hmm. you know, maybe I could flesh it out. And I didn't feel like my inks did it enough justice. So I said, hey, let's switch gears. And uh, so we did the uh, Rawhide story. Um, and I did some inks on that. And again, I wasn't happy with that. Uh, I ended up getting um, uh, Ryan Cody to finish the inks on that. And he did a great job. That's in the Humid Press Presents number one. So then I circled back. So I had that one, uh, you know, in the can and I circled back and we did Taffy Jack number one. Uh, while I'm working on that, I've also got a guy. Uh, he goes by Porta Veritas. He's from uh, Mexico um, working on uh, the Mudbug story in Humid Press Presents number one, thinking, OK, I'm going to put Humid Press Presents number one out first. Because so Mudbug was the first character I came up with and the man called Rawhide was the second character I came up with. So I wanted to launch like real with them. Kind of like in that order. Okay. Right. And uh, just there's Easter eggs within Easter eggs and all this stuff. Some of it, mm-hmm. like two people will get. And then some of it, if you're from New Orleans, you'll get. And some of it, if you're from Houston, you'll get, you know, I, I, I love putting stuff like that in there. And then there's, there's little things in, in these books that, you are not going to realize that are going to pay off down the line if I get there. Uh, okay. Going back to uh, Titan, man, I ramble, so rein me in if you have to. Oh, no, no, you're doing going great. The Titans, right? Um, Deathstroke appeared in number two, right? Mm-hmm. And then his son, uh, Grant, is trying to emulate him, and he gets killed. Then way down in issue like 42 or 44, somewhere around there, where they do the uh, the big story um, w- w- with Tara and, and all of that. I can't think of the name of it. The Judas Contract. 
Um, oh, okay. Jericho. We just did that one as an animated movie not too long ago. Right. Correct. And so Jericho shows up, and he's Deathstroke's son. And I don't remember if it was in the letters page or in the in the comic, but it says something about yeah, he was in issue number two. And you're like, mm-hmm. what? So oh, man, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in. I'm, that would have put me at about uh, eleven or something. Uh, I go back through all the comics and I'm looking and sure enough, wouldn't you know on his desk on Slade Wilson's desk, I think there is a picture in a frame and it's his wife and two kids, I think. But anyway, Joey who's Jericho is as a kid in that picture. And it's wow. like that blew my mind. Right now. I don't know if they planned it all the way or if it was just like, you know, we could do this, and this happens to be like that. But I love stuff like that. I love subplots that uh, you don't know are going to pay off down the line. I, I just yeah, stuff is brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And I think it always, uh, you know, it usually works out pretty well in comics because they're cheap enough to produce, like you know, on this scale. Mm-hmm. Um, versus, like, I mean, I hate to like try to diverge here, but you know, like uh, the DC movie universe, like they were kind of going for that in a lot of ways before they were really off the ground. And with movies that's so expensive, like with none of that paying off, you never really get anywhere, but comics are so cheap and so steady, you know, they can kind of like plant that way, way down the line, you know, because you know, you're usually going to get somewhere up until probably the last few years. It's gotten bad about cutting them early, you know, but used to a series was guaranteed to get enough to pay off a lot of those little plot threads, you know, Absolutely. I think that's something that makes comics so unique compared to like TV and movies, you know? Yes. Yes, for sure. It's uh relatively less expensive, you know, when you're mm-hmm. talking about million, hundreds of millions of dollar budget compared to uh, comics, which, you know, probably for like a DC or a Marvel costs $12,000 to, to produce, you know, paying the, the artist, the letterer, uh, the inker, the writer, the colorist, the editors, and all of that. So that's that's a big difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something I wanted to ask you about, actually, is like, um, I mean, you don't have to give out full financial <laughs> records or anything, but uh, <laughs> what is the cost to you as a, a small publisher like this? Uh, what's so it costing what you looking- to do a book? Yeah, it's about what I'm looking for on the Indiegogo. So it's about uh, $2,000. Um, and that's, that's because, uh, I do a lot of it myself and, uh, really I'm just paying, uh, Greg to do the pencils and inks. So, and he's, he gives me a good rate cause he, he yeah. likes the, the stuff, uh, that we're doing. It appeals yeah. to him. So, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'm just, you know, for, for me, and Lord, I hope the IRS isn't watching this, but I'm just trying to break even with this and mm-hmm. not get rich. You know, I mean, obviously I want to make money, but if I can break even, I will keep doing it until I, I can't see anymore, you know, and I'll just keep up in these things. Yeah. That, right. Um, <laughs> hey, uh, yeah, medical yeah. technology just keeps getting better. So, right. Yeah. Well, if they can give I'm me sure a there's a wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure there's probably an eye cure like right around the corner. Yeah, we don't even yeah. see it coming. For yeah, sure. so uh yeah, I mean for me, like I walked into um I walked into I think it was uh Bedrock City. Uh-huh. And uh I saw this on the shelf. Uh-huh. 
I can't remember what I had in my hand at the time, but it was like an image book or something that I had heard quite a bit about. And I was still on the fence about it. And I saw this and I was like, you know what? Like, that looks like fun. You know, like it just looked really fun. So um, I grabbed that and I really enjoyed this because it's, um, for one thing, this story takes place on uh, the fault line. And I'm assuming that's from the one in Texas, right? There's yeah, one in yeah. like central Texas, right? Yeah, one year for uh, my wife's birthday, we went uh, out to that the hill country area, and and uh, about halfway in between Austin and San Antonio, there's a place called Wonder World, and it's a little. Uh, it, I don't want to disparage it, but it, it's seen better days, right? But yeah, yeah, you, know, you can tour the caves, right? Oh, okay. And yeah. uh, they take you on a tour in the caves, and they were talking about how uh, is this um. Oh man, now I forget what they're called. I think I went there in like summer of 2012. Yeah, and so they take you on this tour in the caves underneath. Mm-hmm, yeah, and you go down real far and uh, stuff. Yeah, easy down there at one time, and mm-hmm. all of this, and it just it got me thinking, you know. And so that's so the monsters in Tex-Mex are actually called volcanivores. Mm-hmm. Okay. Volcana's uh, fault line. Um, and so that that that's why the the theme park at the beginning is called Funner World because it's a place oh okay called, uh, Wonder World yeah uh, all right I got the inspiration to do this and uh, so yeah the 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 monsters in the second story in that was one of the first things I drew uh, and the way I I drew them uh, they were a little more elongated looking um, and it's then a little I, like fuzzy ball creature. Right, right, thing. yeah, yeah. And so you have to be careful sometimes when you you generalize things and you, you you know you say like oh this is like a this and a that because sometimes people will take it a little too literally, right? And so <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of like the green tribbles, right? And so he's like okay tribbles, right? So he get you know, <laughs> a little rounder, uh, which is fine. They look great, you know. I I, I love it. Um, but yeah, yeah. So I I, I drew um, Longhorn first, and uh, th- so my idea was that it's it's a cartoon in the comics. Yeah. So um, well, let me address that because that does actually lead to the other part of uh, my origin story with your origin stories. Okay. Uh, whenever you read Tex Mex, this was the first one I grabbed. Right when you read this, it's a Saturday morning cartoon that Taffy Jack is watching. Right. If I remember correctly. Yes. Correct. Yeah, it has been a while since I've actually pulled these out and read them. Yeah. He and his sister are fighting over the remote. She wants That's to watch right. Pinky Pals. Okay. So I ran out to uh, that comic book shop on I-10. I think it's since moved or moved down yeah, or something. Yeah, it used to be Pop Culture Company. And then uh, mm-hmm. now there's another one near it. It's Like Atomic Monkey or something? Yeah, right. It's uh, some of the same people. Uh, Thomas okay. Lincoln. Yeah. Okay. So I haven't been to their new location, but I That's went out there to the, Oh, okay. Yeah. I made it out to the pop culture company and I got Taffy Jack because, um, that one was important for me to understand like why they were a Saturday morning cartoon. Um, and I think at the same time I was able to grab mud bugs. So that was nice. my third read after, cause I, you know, I read Tex-Mex. I was like, I need this. And then I got this and, the other one, but I ran home. I had to find out about Taffy Jack. So I guess kind of explain how Taffy Jack ties into all of that. <laughs> right. So, so, so Taffy Jack is, is a, uh, a young uh, boy 
and he gets these powers. But uh, with Tex-Mex, it's it's his favorite cartoon. And uh, so what I did is because uh, I had when I wrote the stories for uh, Tex-Mex, I had uh, two pages I didn't know quite what to do with. And I was going to be doing a show up by Dallas, a convention, uh, Waxicon. And so I was trying to get the book done in time because I, I always, when I do a show, try to bring something new. And uh, so I was trying to get it done in time. And I was like, well, what if I do the sequence that kind of bookends the story where they're watching the, the show? And so I tried to do some humorous stuff with that. Um, but there's also in, in Taffy Jack, there's, if you're, Watch looking closely. Uh, there's some TV noise in the background, and it mentions Tex-Mex on their Saturday morning lineup. So yeah, uh, right. Yeah, so in Taffy Jack, they're uh, watching Saturday morning. Well, they're watching TV, right? But it's Saturday morning, and in the background, like when the ads are running, uh, yeah. you see Tex-Mex come up. And I thought there was another Easter egg in there too. Uh, there might have been. Uh, I don't remember offhand, but. Uh, there's a lot of Easter eggs for people to find for sure. I mean, I even went so far and this one's only for really from Louisiana. Uh, there used to be a drugstore chain uh, called K and B drugs and they had a distinctive color of purple. So what I'll do when I do a show in Louisiana, especially around new Orleans is when people are at my table and uh, I'm showing them the book. Cause I always keep copies of the book on the table for people to read. Um, I find, you know, because you don't you don't know me, you don't know my work, uh, mm-hmm. and a lot of, more more often than not, when people have a chance to read it, they'll buy it. Um, but so anyway, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll open the book up to a page with the uh, the van in it, and I'll go, "What color is this?" And I guess if people in their twenties won't get it, but if you're a little bit older, they'll be like, "That's K and B purple." <laughs> and so yeah, so I mean. I just, yeah, I, I tried to, now I didn't put K and B on the van. I called it Philippine because mm-hmm. I don't know if somebody still owns a trademark to that and I don't want to get sued. So yeah. the news were changed to protect the innocent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but in a lot of ways that makes it that much more special because there's literally nothing pointing directly at it saying, hey, look at this, you know, like right. that, that's what makes a lot of the Easter eggs you're talking about in these books good is like, um, you know, even that commercial on the TV while they're fighting, you know, like it's uh, it's very non-presumptuous in itself. Like it's just there, you know, like nothing mm-hmm. really calls attention to it. Nothing says like, look at this. And so for me as a reader, that means like I'm going to spend time on these panels, you know, like I'm going to focus on the story being told on the page instead of wondering, you know, that that's one thing I hate to do is end up wandering on a page, you know. Right, right. For sure. And uh I, I love rereadability in, in comics, you know, and, and being able to go back and look at things like that, uh, that to me adds more value. Mm-hmm. You know, be, being an independent publisher, I, I've got to charge more than the base that, uh, you know, like DC and Marvel can get away with doing a $3 or $4 book. And uh, so I really, I try to pack as much in there as I can to make it worth people's five bucks when they take that, chance on the books you know yeah yeah the value has to be there you know yeah yeah um yeah i mean i talk about that a lot because you know as an indie publisher like you're you're bringing everything to it you know whenever 
you know, like I'm, I'm not like saying anything negative here, but you know, once you like make it into the big two, you know, your Donny Cates and and your James Tinians and you know any of your McFarlands, you know, like I think there is a certain loss, even if it's like subconscious, and like I don't have to chase this anymore. Like I've caught up to it, and as an audience, you know, we we kind of know like you're comfortable, you know, you're set. Even if you write a bad book, you'll write a better one next week, you know. Um, but at the end level at the very small level everything counts you know you have to make sure every letter and every page is right because if you write a bad issue then your series might just completely die out you know you might lose all your audience you know no for sure and that's that's a, a, a tough thing and you don't you don't really get a lot of feedback you know nobody's clamoring to write into your letters page or whatever uh and Eric Larson is is just incredible with his letter page in Savage Dragon that he still has that going and gets that many letters. That's pretty amazing to me. Um, but yeah, yeah, it, you're kind of working in a vacuum. So it's always great to hear from people like you and, you know, anybody like that that enjoys the book. Uh, just uh, gives, gives you a little oomph when you're, you're sitting in your little cave wondering, mm-hmm. Man, is this even worth doing? <laughs> yeah, well, I assure you it is, man. Like, you know, like I said, I mean, I read one and I was like, I have to read the other. And like, this isn't the kind of stuff that I generally enjoy, but it's just so like fun and whimsical, you know, like there, there's a, a pretty big uh, gap for me. Like I like really serious, like, mm-hmm. um, you know, I guess like Artar kind of stuff, you know, or whatever. And then I like things that are just like fast and fun and goofy and lighthearted. Um, it's that weird ground in the middle that I struggle with where they're trying to be kind of serious, but then there's like a lot of balls being dropped in the production, you know. Um, but this definitely falls in that category of just like it looked fun and every page delivered on that. Like I looked at the cover, I said, this oh, reminds me of like old school cartoons and it, it delivered that 100 percent. That's fantastic. That's what I was going for, you know, fun, because I, I felt like uh there was room for more books like that uh, in, in the market. Uh, I, I personally uh, kind of quit reading Marvel and DC uh, some years back just because I didn't feel like they were writing comics for me, uh, which is fine. I mean, look, I'm aging out and they, they, they need, you know, young people coming in and reading the book. So it doesn't have to be for me, but at the same time, I felt like that, well, maybe there could be something for someone like me who, who kind of misses some of that uh, silver bronze age, you know, type feel and the Saturday morning cartoon feel, because that's non-existent anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got cartoon network or whatever, but it's, it's not the same. Uh, no. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even I, I grew up, um, you know, I'm 30, 32 going on 33 um, so I grew up like, I was born in 88. So I really grew up like on the early and mid nineties, like every Saturday morning, like I was waking up, I went to get my cereal. I sat down in the living right. room on the floor. Yeah. Like, you know, and it seems like it I'm sure great. for you, you're like, Oh yeah, you probably didn't even remember that, but I did, you know, but I was right at the tail end of that. Like probably whenever I, just as I was getting out of high schools when, you know, they pretty much canceled morning cartoon blocks and stuff. Yeah. And it was kind of a ritual, you know, you know, people talk about things like uh, vinyl records and how they've come back and it's a ritual. And, you know, the same thing with like, you know, physical comic books, there's a, a connection with, with, with that tactile feel of 
having a comic book. And that's one of the reasons I haven't done uh, digital yet with the comics, though I'm probably going to, now that I've, I've got a little bit more in the can, uh, going to try to uh, put some on some sort of platform that way, just to try to reach whatever audience again. But no, that, that tactile feel and the, the trip to the comic shop and the grabbing your cereal and going sit on the couch Saturday morning is, you know, something to look forward to. I, I, I think that's, uh, that's all part of it. And, uh, mm-hmm. do it. Um, yeah, I mean, a big part of all of those rituals, you know, is, um, like anticipation, you know, like my kids have zero anticipation for anything, but it's also like this instant gratification, right? So for us, it was like, you know, it would be advertising. I remember watching advertisements for a movie for like six months, just like desperate to watch it, you know, and you only got like one trailer. There wasn't like six months of new trailer. You know, you got like one, maybe two. And if two if a second trailer came out, like it blew your mind, you know, and then it paid off when you finally got to go see it, you know, in 79, I'm watching Saturday morning cartoons, huge Star Wars fan. I have no idea until this trailer comes on for this thing called Empire Strikes Back. Blew my mind. Now, I'm up early. My parents are still in bed sleeping. I run in the room. <laughs> and oh, my God. Oh, my God. You know, and they had this walking thing. And, you know, because you didn't know it was an ATAT or an ADAT like we called it back then or anything. It was just like exactly what you're talking about, you yeah. know. It was incredible, and uh, I mean, I still remember it to this day. Mm-hmm. Who's going to remember the the umpteenth trailer they see on YouTube? Nobody, right? Yeah. There, there's, there's, and I'm not trying to be the old curmudgeon that's like, get off my lawn, you know. But the, there, there's something to some of that old stuff, and uh, yeah, so yeah, I'm, I'm right to- there with you. I mean, I feel the same way. Like my kids never anticipate anything. Like they don't know what movie's coming out and they sure don't know how long until it comes out. They might see a trailer and they're like, I want to see that. And then forget it ever happened, you know? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we'll bring it up or something or people at school start talking about, they're like, Oh yeah. And then they just like download it. You know, if it's a new game, they just download it. If it's a movie, they just stream it. Like they're, they're losing both ends of that. You know, I would like to believe the anticipation at least is building in this like instant gratification culture, but uh, they're losing on both ends, you know, and that that's the part that kind of bothers me is like, I just remember that joy. I'd be watching a Saturday morning cartoon and you would see an ad for like a new water gun or something and you would lose your mind, you know, like I'm telling my mom, like, I need this. I need this. We got to get this. And she's telling me no. And I'm waiting for my birthday or Christmas. And now they just like put it on an Amazon wish list. And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it's, but, a, I mean, it's a whole know, different it's our, world. It's our fault, though. Oh, know? yeah. For, we, we and uh, my generation, your generation, we we accepted all this stuff and, and mm-hmm. created it, and the kids are just there reaping the benefits of it. You know. Yeah, yeah. But, I think about that all the time. Like, why why are we naming generations when they're toddlers? Like, yeah, let's just wait right? until they grow up and see. You know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it's just like um, you know, every generation it. it you know, they're building on what you left behind, you know? So whatever we, you know, people were amazed to have TV. They were like, what if it had a remote? So then the next generation grew up with the remotes. And then they're like, what if there's color, you know? And it just, you know, so it's always the generation that's usually the generation complaining about the new generation. That's what you left behind. That's what you created, you know? It's not the, uh, 
you know, the snowflakes, it's not their fault that they got participation ribbons all the time. You know, that was your parents' faults that did that, you know? So like, there's always like this weird sense of like, stop complaining about what you created, you know, like, let's just all try to work toward being better humans, you know? I like that plan. (laughs) It definitely works for me. Yes, sir. Yeah. And then, uh, well, I mean, you've already mentioned Rawhide a bit, but Mudbug, um, this one I really liked. This is the one where he's in um, New Orleans. Correct. So, so one of the, so I'm going to bore a lot of people right now. (laughs) They're going to roll, their eyes are going to roll into their heads and they're going to, they're going to tune out. Uh, One of the problems I had with Gambit, okay, is that he's Cajun, supposedly, and it's all in New Orleans. And the, if you go back to the history of, of the Cajun people, they come from uh, Acadia, which is now Nova Scotia. And um, they left France. Uh, they wanted their independence. And uh, France and England had a war and England won and England got that territory. So they came in and they said, OK, you guys are going to convert from Catholicism to the Anglican Church you're going to swear fealty to the English crown. And they're like, no, nah, we don't want any of that. <laughs> so uh, they came to some sort of an agreement and um, the English felt like they weren't keeping up their end. And the Acadians felt like the English weren't keeping up their end. And so there was some conflict and the English said, well, we had enough. Oh, the other thing they wanted them to agree to was uh, something with the Indians. The Acadians had really good relations with the Mi'kmaq who were the natives uh, that lived in that area. Uh, And they were afraid that if they swore fealty to the crown, because the Mi'kmaq did not like the English, that it would go badly for them. Um, So anyway, the, the, the English round them all up, at gunpoint and put them on boats and ship them out. And uh, a lot of people died. Boats sank. Uh, some of them ended up in different areas. Some of them got sent back to France. Some of them ended up in the Caribbean. Some of them ended up in New England. And one guy, his name is Joseph Broussard de Beausoleil, uh, got in touch with the governor of Louisiana. Louisiana at the time was controlled by Spain. Uh, they were actually looking for cattlemen, and turns out these guys were pretty good with cattle. So they made a deal to come settle in Louisiana, and they sent out the word to all the different people and got some of them to uh, show up and start settling down there. And so they all passed through New Orleans, but most of them ended up in other areas, right? Uh, so New Orleans really isn't Cajun. It's more of a rural culture. Um, New Orleans sells Cajun, and they do it very well. Uh, so there were just a lot of things in there that I was like, well, this isn't right, and this isn't right, and this isn't right. So I'm like, okay, well, well you've got to have a big city for a superhero, right? You, you can't have a guy down in uh, Pontichamp. There's a very small community down there, okay? Uh, you can't have a guy down there, you know, fighting the Nutras every week. That's going to get boring. So, okay, well, how how do I satisfy my insane need for, for this to be that accurate, which I'm telling you, nobody but me cares about, right? Um, so, okay, well, he moves to the city. 
right? And if you say that in the book, then it's okay. I'm satisfied with it. And I think anybody else who has, you know, the, the five other people that have the same problem as me with it <laughs> will be satisfied with it as well. Right. Uh, so, so, uh, but it's just little things like that. If you, mm-hmm. if you kind of put it in there, then it works in, mm-hmm. in my opinion. And I can't wait to get to his story because the story in that book is kind of in the middle of the first couple of issues. I, I figure people get tired of origin stories all the time, mm-hmm. right? And every time you start a book, you got to start with an origin. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to start in the middle with something with some action and tell a small story and then expand on it. I guess kind of like George Lucas, though I don't, I'm not comparing myself to George Lucas, <laughs> but, but the, the, the idea is, is yeah, kind yeah. Of what he said he did with Star Wars. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so this is that that story, which one of the things I tried to do with these books was make them all self-contained. Mm-hmm. I wanted you to be able to read the book and get a full story or maybe even two stories, right? Because Tex-Mex has two stories mm-hmm. and uh, Human Press, right has two stories. And they are, I feel, they have a beginning, a middle, and an end, but then they also can lead to other things, which is those subplots and things like that I was talking about mm-hmm. earlier. Uh, because I feel like that's another thing that's missing. And that's one of the things that kind of drove me out of uh, reading mainstream comics was just the fact that it felt like you were just getting a little chapter. And uh, the stuff I grew up reading, you got a beginning, a middle, and an end in, in one story. So mm-hmm. it was important for me to uh, try to do that there. So that's how that, that story happened. And uh, I think it's a fun story. Um, yeah. Yeah, I really enjoy it. Um, I mean, what you were saying about uh, New Orleans sells Cajun, like 100. I went there. I was there for about uh, a week, uh, like December, the week before Christmas mm-hmm. um, of 2013. So I was down there and it, you know, it was still touristy, but mm-hmm. not like it is like during Mardi Gras and all that, yeah. you know, like there was plenty of space to move around. And uh, that was that. I mean, that was the first thing that stood out to me was like, you could ask anybody, anybody that you saw, they would be standing outside the doors, like trying to wave people in. Or when you go on the boats, you ask them, like, how do you get here? Or where do you find this? And every time they had the absolute perfect answer, because it was the most touristy place I've ever been. Um, But it's still welcoming, you know, like never Mm -hmm. did I feel like concerned or worried, like, they they knew how to handle tourism and like I know me if my job was to like work this boat and four hundred people a day were asking me how to get to like so and so gift shop I would eventually just pull out all my hair you know so that is something about the people of New Orleans like they're warm and they're inviting and welcoming but they also know that they're culturing a very like tourist driven economy you know and that they have to to be welcoming in order to keep that money flowing in, you know? And it's not just like the, the people working, it's just everyday people are are pretty much Mm -hmm. the same. It's just, you know, you, you, you'll get babied and, you know, like, Hey baby. And, you know, all of that from, from, you know, you take care of honey. And and that's just the way it is there. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause everybody there probably works and has grown up in some sort of like tourist adjacent thing, you know, whether it's the casinos or the tours, or even if you just work in a gas station, like making sure that you can give directions and get people where they're looking for, you know, like 
that helps your business, you know, because as long as the whole economy of the city's floating, you're all okay, you know. I grew up about an hour from New Orleans, and then um, we, my wife and I, moved up there uh, from where we were from, and we lived in Kenner and. She worked in the CBD and I worked in Gretna. So uh, one of the things I did, I worked at a web design firm there and uh, did web design. And we also did um, photography for real estate agents uh, for their websites, because back then there wasn't all this turnkey stuff. Uh, you know, there wasn't a Wix and there wasn't a Facebook and there wasn't a um, WordPress or any of that. So you know, and I got to go in some fantastic houses. It was just amazing because we do the, the 360 tours were all the rage. And yeah, it was just, mm. it was great. And I, I really had a good time doing that kind of stuff and seeing the sites there. I do miss it sometimes. And that was another part of doing this stuff is, you know, I, I get a little homesick sometimes. Yeah. So, you know, writing about it helps with that. For sure. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever I was down there, we went and walked through the neighborhoods like where Ann Rice's house is and all that. Mm -hmm. And those historical homes look incredible. Like I am not into architecture and stuff like that. But when you're there and you're seeing it, it just like evokes something, you know, like we toured a graveyard and like that seems really dumb and stupid, but it does. Like it just feels different there for some reason. Well, you know? the graveyards are different there for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but also I wanted to point out too in Mudbug, like it, it kind of has like that campiness of like 66 Batman. Yeah. Um, and he does end up like running with a bomb. Right. right? Yeah. And uh, what's really cool about this though, is somebody who has been to new Orleans, what I can tell you is, um, <laughs> This is right. Like, this is accurate. Like, he runs past Cafe Du Monde. I was there. I drank coffee there. Some of the best coffee I've ever had. Like, uh, you see him run through, uh, it's Jackson Square, right? Mm -hmm. Or Jefferson? No, Jackson Square, Jackson right? Square, right. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I can tell you, like, all of this stuff is accurate. And you've told me you timed this out to get it right. We, on a visit back there, me and my wife went to Jackson Square. And so there's a sequence of panels in the book where he's running and... So I actually figured out where I wanted each panel to be and ran and my wife timed me. So people were looking at me like, I was <laughs> especially when I ran across the street. Right. Uh, and then unfortunately part of the area was closed. So I had to kind of guess on one of them, but I kind of figured out, well, this is about the same distance and yeah. And, and figure that out. But I'm trying to put, some sort of landmark or, or something that's real and identifiable in each of the stories I'm doing. Well, except for Tex-Mex because that's a cartoon on TV. So it's fictional. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I didn't feel like I needed to do it quite mu so much with that. Um, but yeah, so like in the second issue of Taffy Jack, there is, and it's, it's not there anymore in new Orleans, but there used to be a, um, a place called the river gate. And um, they would hold conventions there. It's where the Harris Casino oh. is now. Uh, it was a beautiful picture oh, okay. on this building. And so we we put that in in the story, and there's a wrestling match. Because Roman, the, the boy who is uh, Taffy Jack, he's a huge wrestling fan. And so he gets to go to a wrestling match, and uh, we set it in there. And so, like, again, just little authenticities and Easter eggs and things like that. I love putting them in there. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's something that really impresses me, too, is just like the landmarks, you know, uh, Mudbug. We talked about New Orleans. Um, Taffy Jack, where was that one said? Did they tell us? So, well, the, the, the thing with Taffy Jack is the, the candy cart that he uh, gets in his accident at. It's mm-hmm. a pretty big deal in New Orleans. Um, oh, and it's, okay. actually, it's actually what the character is named for, because in New Orleans, there is a thing called the Roman Candy Company, and they sell taffy. And they have two of these carts. One's at the Audubon Zoo, and one gets pulled around by a mule to different areas and sells taffy to people. And so I renamed it in the book and, and changed it a little because, again, I don't want to get sued. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so it, it's definitely an homage to that. Now, okay. The building that his apartment that he lives with his aunt in is across the street from Lafayette Square, which is in the CBD. And I think it might be a law office. So I kind of fudged it there. But there's actually apartments right there. Like the roof that he's looking off of is an apartment building over there. So, yeah, I, I... and I, you know, it's not just all about the Easter eggs. I put a lot into the, the story and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but with, with done in one stories like this, it's a little hard to talk about the story without giving too much away. But, uh, you know, I may, I, I tried to make sure that, you know, there was character growth and change and mm-hmm. there's drama, uh, a little pathos and some humor and some silliness and, you know, just in that there's a narrative flow through it. As yeah. Well. But the, well, yeah, the, uh, point too. <laughs> well, I mean, I think the most serious story probably was Rawhide because that's dealing yeah. in uh, like some human trafficking, if right. I remember correctly. Correct. Yes. Uh, and that one, um, I don't know if they even said this again, it's been a while since I've actually read this story, but uh, that one felt like a Dallas type, like south of Dallas kind of story or something. Benton, Louisiana. It was in Louisiana? Benton, Louisiana. Okay. Benton is right at the Texas border. Okay. Yeah, I was uh, going to say it had a little Texas flair to it, so I sure, wasn't sure exactly sure. where. Right. So Rawhide is a, a, a Texas character. Um, okay. So if I ever get around to his origin, that's set in Texas. Uh but yeah, so and and so when we w- would be driving back and forth because my, my mom she passed away a few years ago, but uh, we would go back to Homa and uh, so we'd pass through Vinton all the time. And I'm like, what is this place? And the, it's built up since then. Uh, there's like some some casino type gas stations and stuff like that now. But at the time, there really wasn't much there. And so we got I, I went check it out, and they had like kind of this old downtown with boarded up things. And I'm like. Okay, I'm going to set something here. This, and we actually, I had my wife while I'm driving take a pic, some pictures. Um, so it's not exact, mm-hmm. but when, when he did the art, I gave him that as reference. I'm like, this is the street this is set on. Now we made up the bar that the the, the action happens in and, and everything like that. But uh, yeah, that story uh, was because there, there's kind of a gag. Uh, that uh, even though it's, it is a pretty serious story and it's sort of tonally, it's sort of like the, the Frank Miller Wolverine miniseries is, is in my mind uh, with that, that um, narration and the captions and, and everything. Um, but I had this weird thought about werewolves and 
marking territory. And I thought it would be funny for a character character to, to urinate on something a werewolf owned to <laughs> make him mad, right? Yeah. Actually, that whole story is built around that. I, I kind of drew that one page. I, I thumbnailed it to, to figure it out and uh, expanded it from there. Yeah. 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 I don't know, uh, not to detract from uh, your impression of it, uh, but from Dust Till Dawn, it reminded me a yeah. lot, like, uh, I don't know, kind of the world and the environment that I would imagine it's, that exists in. Especially Ryan's colors really evoke that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think he did a really good job. He's doing yeah, yeah. now for a book, uh, Family Tree by Image. I think that's Phil Hester and. Isn't that, that Jeff Lemire? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Whoa, so that, that's high-profile stuff there. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's awesome. And he he did um, – oh, man, I can't think of the name of it. Um, I'm not going to think of it. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah. he, he, does, he does artwork as well, uh, not mm. just colors. And, uh, he, man uh, – I can't think, but he he did this this series, and it was collected in a hardcover by Dark Horse, uh, like Mister Doc Unknown. That was it. Doc it's Unknown, like a kind of uh, thing, and it, it's pretty cool. Uh, I'm hmm. reading it right now. I found a copy at a Half Price Books. I was so oh, nice because I wanted to get a copy from him personally. Uh, last year I went to Heroes Con in North Carolina and he was supposed to go to that show as well. And I was going to buy a copy from him there and uh, he uh, had to cancel. Uh, so I was really excited when I found a copy of it. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah. How did you uh, come to work with him? Um, I probably poached him off of like uh, <laughs> social media. Uh, a lot of times these guys when they're, they're in a bind and got bills to pay and, they're like, I, I need some work, and I'll be like, "All right, man, what's your your rate?" And uh, if I can afford them, you know, or if they're like, uh, I've got a story that that's in the can, and it's been in the can for a bit. This uh, guy, uh, his wife had a baby, and they had some complications, so he needed some money. And I had this I had this script that I'd been sitting on for a bit. It's a, uh, it's so. At the end of the Mudbug story, it says next, too many origins mm-hmm. in this story. Um, oh, okay. and so it's it's kind of about Mudbug's origin, but it's not exactly. And uh, so I really like this guy's art. And uh, since he, there's some elements that are, if you're from Louisiana, you'll understand better how to draw it. So it's just, it worked out. You know, he was looking for some work. It, it, it was a fair price, but it was, it was kind of steep for me because of uh, my 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 uh, budget. But uh, it was worthwhile because the the end result is really great, and um, I'm gonna be excited to get that one out. Which will it'll be next year sometime, obviously. Uh, that's awesome. In the next year, um, but yeah. So that's that's just you know watching um, forums or sometimes somebody you follow will retweet or gram mm-hmm. or. Whatever. These people, (laughs) yeah, I'm not, I'm not, social media is beyond me. I I, I try to, another, I don't think it was you. Uh, I think it was another guy who does uh, podcast things like this, who had found Tex-Mex. 
uh, was kind of chatting with me and he got on my case for not doing anything regularly. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, I, I hate, I hate to overpromise. I always try to underpromise and overdeliver. Exactly. And I don't want to hype anything until I have something to hype. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I'm like, right now I got to sell more books before I can think about doing the next one because the budget mm-hmm. is small. And, uh, so anyway, that's why I started the sketchbook jambalaya was just to have something because he wasn't wrong. You know, his thing was, yeah. look, people need to know you're still there and, and doing. So that's why I started just to have something. And, you know, it grew the audience a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, uh, for me, the growing the audience is best when it translates into comic book sales. Uh, and I don't know <laughs> that it's, it's worked out that way. Uh, and especially I, I feel like I'm having a lot of trouble with what I call the algorithm, which is going to be a villain in a book at some point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 100. I, I kind of suspect that's where Batman's headed right now, actually. Yeah. Oh, really? yeah. They just introduced this new uh, this new character that has a past with Batman already. But anyway, he's like a new character and he kind of like is always one step ahead. And uh, a lot of his. Tech, like a lot of his gadgets and stuff, they talk about how technologically based they are, and they they almost make it seem like he's almost always logged into some kind of system. So I think that's what we're about to find out is some like super villain has figured out how to use algorithms to predict everything going on immediately around them. You know, it is so hard to come up with ideas that don't end up. I, I it is amazing how many times I'll come up with an idea. And a week or two later, I'll see something that's pretty much that idea, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, there's no, there's really no new stories, right? You're just telling in a, maybe a new and different or novel way. Um, there, everything is a pastiche of what's come before. It's a, uh, well, say there's only, only like what, seven stories or nine stories, yeah, something, something like that. that. Right. Yeah. So we're just always kind of like remixing those elements in different ways. But no, I, 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 I was sitting at a coffee shop. Uh, there used to be a coffee shop in a thrift store by my house. Greatest thing ever. Such a cast of characters. Uh, and since it was a thrift store, the seating area was constantly changing because they would sell the table. That you, you, you know. <laughs> And, and so, but it was a constant cast of characters who were there. It was just so much fun to go sit there and just have conversations with these strangers, right? And there was this guy, and he was talking about some experience he had, and it was something with a guy with a mohawk, and they put a bow in his hair, and they called it a bowhawk. I'm like, oh my god, that's a great name for a character. So. I drew up, well, you can't see it. The the guy with the crab head, she's right in front of him. This character named Bohawk. Two days later, a picture from Avengers with uh, Hawkeye with a mohawk on the internet. And I'm like, great. Everybody can think I got it from that, you know? (laughs) (laughs) But stuff like that happens all the time. Mm -hmm. there's, there's some zeitgeist and we're all tapping into it, you know, and yeah. pulling these things from it. And it's probably something like that, that everybody's kind of seeing these things and it, it triggers something in your mind. You're like, oh, I can put this together and, and come up with that. I love coming up with characters. I spend too much time 
on that or I have. <laughs> I try not to now and, and you know get some momentum. Um, like I said, yeah, I was one one of the questions I did want to ask you, but then you kind of answered it at the beginning, but. Um, you know, from the very early stages of reading any of your books, like there's pictures everywhere. I think they're on your, um, your, your social and stuff as well. And it's just like all these characters. I was like, how did he come up with all of the, and they, I don't think you have listed a backstory for every one of them, but no, there seems no. to be background elements for a majority of this, like huge, like poster you have. Right. Well, when I, when I come up with ideas for them, you know, I'm like, okay, what kind of character is this? And uh, I try to come up with some sort of backstory, but I also, right. I haven't listed them or anything because I'm not sure where everybody fits in the story yet. And I feel like I don't want to, to limit them because so what I, what I'm doing or I'm trying to do is actually set in different generations um, so I've got World War II superheroes, and then I've got 70s superheroes, and then I've got modern superheroes, and I've got characters who fit in. And eventually I'm going to kind of build this narrative, and you're going to be able to see how things flow through that. But it's it's, it's not like I'm trying to do like what DC did with a connected universe mm-hmm. the way I am, you know, but everything's going to stand on its own. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's purpose built to be able to be connected. Mm-hmm. Uh, for sure. Yeah, Well, I think one of the biggest questions I would have, you know, from that, um, from what I know is like the Tex-Mex up here is a cartoon character in Taffy Jack's world, but, do they also exist in his real world or is this like a relic of the past? Like, is he watching, are they watching reruns of Tex-Mex or like, so you know I what I mean? I, I haven't explic- explicitly said it in the book. I, 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 there are context clues in there that Taffy Jack is set in the seventies. Okay. Um, right. So, I mean, you know, he's watching a seventies television show in the background. Um, some of the the clothing styles are seventies, but we were kind of vague about it because mm-hmm. you, you you don't know what's going to happen with a property, right? And you know there might be something happening with Taffy Jack. Uh, last year, yeah, the end of the year, I actually and I'm not going to say too much about it, but I actually got contacted by um, a very big firm in uh, Hollywood, California, asking about the uh, movie and television rights. Uh, and I thought I was being pranked. Um, <laughs> they, they used the form on the website, and it captures an IP address, and I traced the IP address through Aaron.net. Uh, again, I used to work in web design, so I, I understand some of the things that maybe the common person, or I don't know, common person sounds uh, like <laughs> But, you know, the regular Joe might not know what you can uh, accomplish. Uh, And so anyway, I traced it back to that firm. And uh, so, yeah, that's wow. That 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 could be something or it could be nothing. You know, right now it hasn't uh, gone anywhere. But my understanding of Hollywood is that's how it works. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it may or may not like they're mostly looking for like, is there still opportunity, you know? Um, but I think that would be phenomenal and the chances are probably better than ever because with everything shut down and all that animation is going to be where it's at for at least like, 
I would say probably at least a year, maybe even 18 months before we start getting a lot more live action stuff back on the waves. Yeah. Um, and con- content right now is king, you know, because everybody's mm-hmm. streaming service, so everybody's looking for something. So, yeah, that would be in- incredible uh, if something came of that. And, uh, you know, we only printed like uh, 300 copies of that. So I'm not saying anything, but, uh, you know, if you were a speculator, hmm. Right. What happened with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number one on that first (laughs) 5,000 copies? And what does that do? Like uh, 80 to 100,000? now yeah yeah i was gonna say like uh it depends on the print you know i know a couple of people that are chasing those that first print is like fifty thousand or more depending on the day you know yeah with the last ronin coming out and all that recently like it has went up even higher yeah sure sure yeah so but but but, i mean even the second prints go for like a couple like 10 tens of thousands you know like 10 15 thousand yeah, when we were at uh, at Heroes uh, Con, Friday was just dead, and uh, so I was a little bored. And uh, my wife was watching the booth, and I went to and brought a copy of each of my comics because I had all three at that point. Uh, to um, was it CGC? One of the two graders was there, and I, I gave him copies, and I got back two nine point eights and a nine point six. So. <laughs> And mainly I did it just to get the books in the system. So like mm-hmm. if you go on their, their, their site, you know, it's like first humid press title. Uh, wow. Yeah. Of this. And so that was just fun for me to do it for, for that reason. Not so much to like have an investment in, in my own product yeah. or, or anything, but just uh, I thought it'd be kind of neat to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, if it were to take off, you'd be the last one that needs to sell a copy to, pay for anything you know (laughs) one would hope well yeah (laughs) but but that's awesome man i i can see why that would be um you know kind of a great thing you know like there's a lot of elements aligning there on top of just uh that you know animation is going to be king for a while while everybody tries to get back up and running so they're going to need plenty of content to fill out those airwaves um I got these books locally, right? So here in Houston, mm-hmm. um, and they're in a couple shops. But I know you have a list. I think it's in the back of the books of, or maybe it's it was online on of all the sure. shops that have it. Yeah, yeah, it's on it's on humidpress.com, Which forgive me for that website. Uh, <laughs> so when I used to do web design, I had access to more tools than I have access to now, software and such. And um, so I used some tools that came with my web hosting, and it didn't give me the best results. But I figured you know, budget needs to go to the comic books more than to software or paying somebody or, or whatever. Uh, but yeah, I've got a section on it with the, the stores that the books are in. Um, so yeah, you can get out there. Um, a really in Houston, third planet has been a, a great uh, supporter of us. They've restocked multiple times. Uh, they, they push the book for us, but the other stores I, I've been in a bit great too, just cause they're taking a chance on it. Um, you know, uh, atomic monkey, uh, bedrock, who I think they're completely sold out of everything. Uh, up in the Northwest, there's dragon's lair, uh, in the woodlands, there's space cadets. Um, 
Yeah, that's a uh, Dragon's Jin- Lair is over there off of uh, two forty nine, right? Correct. Jones Road. Yeah, Jones Road. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to think where else here. Um, Isn't there another one out in uh, Tomball? Um, you know, there's a great barbecue place, uh, Bexar. Man, they have good brisket. And there's a, a spot right there with uh, says comics, but there's nothing in there. So I don't know if um, I missed them and they're no longer there or, or what. Um, could yeah. be, yeah. My my son, he uh, was playing like Pokemon cards and Yu-Gi-Oh cards for a while. So I would take him like, you know, in the evening, like on Tuesdays or Thursdays to a lot of the shops a little farther out because they do like game nights a lot of times too. Yeah, so... um I've been self-distributing, which is a little difficult, but uh, Diamond's terms are kind of uh, not good for real small guys like me. Mm-hmm. You've got to do – it used to be $5,000, and now it's $7,500 in pre-orders to get in their catalog. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, and so it'll be a long time before I get there. So, yeah, any any comic shops that are interested, I do wholesale prices for comic shops. They, they get 40% off, uh, which is a pretty standard discount with Diamond. I know they'll get better discounts with uh, larger volumes, and they'll get 50 55 60% off on some DC and Marvel stuff. I actually did sell comics at one time. Uh, in my hometown, there was only one comic shop and a lot of people I knew didn't like the shop for whatever reasons. And so I decided, you know what, I'm going to take a shot at this. And so what I did is, uh, basically what Steve Jeppy did, I sold comics out the back of my truck. Nice. <laughs> the guy who started Diamond. And I did that for a couple of years, uh, and it was actually making money at it. Uh, and I would have meetups or, you know, whatever. And uh, I take orders and just order is basically a subscription service uh, yeah. that until we moved up to the New Orleans area and uh, I shut it down at that point just because it wasn't going to be feasible to drive. Yeah. Back. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, so I understand what comic shops go through because I, I, mm-hmm. I've been there. And uh, so, yeah, they get I don't know if any of them listen to your your, your show or watch it. But, yeah, I, I do we'll find uh, out. Yeah, I do do wholesale. What about uh, Arkham Comics and Games in Sugarland? I'm not familiar with that one. No, I've never, uh, I haven't been out there myself, Um, but I I found a podcast and one of the hosts is the guy that owns and runs that shop, which is weird because, you know, like I found a podcast with a guy from Houston that runs a comic book shop. So uh, that was just like really interesting to me. Uh, I guess kind of the same as this because like, like I kind of told you, I had family that grew up in uh, the same parts of Louisiana you're from. And right. um, I've lived in the Houston area uh, my whole life, pretty much, you know. So it's a weird way to cross paths. I mean, I guess it's not that ironic because where else was I going to find your book in the first place? But to seek you out on the Internet and make contact and then, like, ultimately lead to all of this is just really cool to me, you know, on so many different levels, you know. Well, like you were talking about Houston being a melting pot before, I have run into people in Target who I went to high school with here. Like I went to high school in Louisiana. Yeah, I run into them in tar- Target here. So yeah, there, there's yep. there's a, a, a. I mean, well, Houston is the big city, right? In in this area, uh, New mm-hmm. Orleans is a city, but Houston is a 
big city, right? So mm-hmm. there, there's going to be well, people. Well, even so, the difference is um, it, it's very like I think looking at a map. I mean, looking at a map, I never thought New Orleans was that far. I thought that was just like a little trip people made, you know. But when I went there in 2013, I was like, oh no, like, this is a whole different like place, you know. It, the drive is brutal, especially Baton Rouge, man. I always hit traffic in Baton Rouge. It never fails. And it's yeah. just, well, it's the only place on I-10 where I-10 goes down mm-hmm. to one lane. Yeah. Fix that. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Baton Rouge. Uh, I have a shop over there that he, he carries my books. Uh, and uh, it's, it's Jason's uh, cards or something like that. Uh He's a pretty good guy. He's he's invested in in it. That's one of the things I'm real happy to be getting to number two because it's been a while. And um, I feel like I've kind of let some people down, you know, by not getting it out sooner. So I do want to say that, you know, number two, like I said, it's almost done. I just got to do the lettering, which does have some writing in it. But number three, I just got page seven of pencils and inks. So, uh, by the by, Greg has. We were setting a deadline, and he'll probably beat the deadline because he's he's working through it pretty quickly. But he's like, uh, I'm like, well, yeah, I I, I try to be kind of easy with with these guys because I know they got other things. Um, I'm like, well, what's a reasonable deadline to you? And he goes, what about Christmas? And so Greg's from Canada. That's oh, where okay. he lives. And uh, I said, well, no, let's make it Boxing Day. Which is the day after Christmas. That mm-hmm. way I can yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I don't feel let down. Like, I have enjoyed these books. I mean, um, like I said, I haven't really read them recently, recently, but look how they stuck with me, you know? Like, right. I still know what happened. Um, and then you were ever so kind. You sent me the original Ash Can you did of Tex Mex. Right, because um, there's an extra page in it that's not in the book. Yeah, which I haven't even taken the time to read it yet. I've been so busy this week. It came in, I think, Tuesday. So, um, you know, I'm excited to check it out, though. Yeah, Tex-Mex is giant robots, mechs, fighting giant monsters that that come out of that fault line. And in that first story I did, there is a a monster who's – and it was kind of – what happened was it was actually a miscommunication between me and Greg what the monster was supposed to be because I had these Mm -hmm. designs for monsters that I sent to him. And so he ended up doing this monster because, again, you got to watch how, how, how you say things. Says so like, well, you know, it's kind of like Godzilla in this. <laughs> in his mind, okay, I got to do a, a Godzilla monster, right? So he did this kind of lizard monster. And uh, when, I, when I got uh, some pages from him, I'm like, well, that's not actually the monster I wanted. But you know what? This is good. I can do something with this. So you don't have to change it. Um, I, I, I kind of feel like I'm kind of an ideas person that's – one of my strengths and I can pivot mm-hmm. on, on some of these things and make, make it work for the story. And so I'm like, but here's the thing. I'm going to kill off your monster. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and so it works because it kind of adds a little gravity to, to the story mm-hmm. there. But anyway, the, the, the monster's name is Skinkor. And so that's the sound he makes. And I, I use some different onomatopoeia uh, type sound effects with him and it, it, when you go back and read it the, the next time, you'll notice that the way I do the, the, the words when he's roaring, it's different on different. Okay. Right. And so what I did on that last page in the ash can is I put 
what he's saying. Like uh, translated? Right. Okay. But it's tongue-in-cheek. So it's all very jokey that yeah. he's saying. Um, and I just thought it'd be a fun little extra thing. And I didn't know how it would play in the main book. So I didn't put it in the mm-hmm. main book. So uh, I don't know if we do a trade paperback, maybe I'll throw it back in as an extra in a trade paper. Oh, that would be awesome, man. Like um, we've, we've got it plotted uh, for a few issues. Uh, so we can definitely do another couple of issues of Tex-Mex. And I want to, because te- like I was talking about the, the through line, that happens uh, in all these stories going from the World War II characters or whatever. Tex-Mex is a through line in in these comics. There there is a significance to it. Now, it is a cartoon that Roman watches on TV, Mm -hmm. and it is on his – in his world, it's completely fictional, right? Yeah. But there – I don't know if you ever saw this. There was a Saturday Night Live sketch way back uh, when Dan Aykroyd was on SNL. And it was this guy, and he was like this this just shady uh, salesman, businessman. And he was pitching these toys. And, like, one of them was Bag of Glass. You know? <laughs> <Bag of> glass. <laughs> it's hilarious. I can't remember the name of it. And talking to a reporter. Like selling kids like lead paint chips and right, stuff. Yeah, exactly. Like, okay. and like, oh, no, no. It's so much fun in this. And so when I came up with some of the designs for the monsters, my idea was this guy is the guy, it's his toy company that's making these. So he's like, all right, yeah, I got these gorilla pieces over here and these hippopotamus or these rhinoceros pieces over here. What can I do with this? Okay, there's a monster for you, kid. Right. (laughs) So that's kind of the, the, the company, and, and so this is just backstory in my head. I don't know if it'll ever make it to the page, but mm-hmm. in my mind, this is the company that made these the toys for this. And if I get the story out eventually, you know, when we get there, it, it'll be really cool what you'll find out about this stuff. Because, like I said, there's a reason it's there. Yeah. There's a reason most of st- there's there's Chekhov's guns everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of like the um like the GI the GI Joe approach, you know, like yeah, here's an action figure now like create a backstory and a name for this character so Absolutely. we can put him in a cartoon and sell him to a kid. Absolutely. Yeah. And so if you go back on on so in the first story in Tex-Mex on the last page, you see kind of a lineup of the monsters uh with with kind of the the main guy out of sight in the back, background. Um, yeah, he's like a, he's like nothing, right? Well, yeah, right. Um, and they just call him the master. So, uh, but some of the monsters there, if you look at them, there's one where it's like a, a round eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's like I imagined the guy who's like, okay, I got these crystals and these cat's eye marbles. Okay, this is a monster, <laughs> right? And those are called volcanodites. And then there's another one, and it's kind of loopy, sort of in a way like the schmoo, uh, sort of. And I'm like, okay, he's oh, I got this uh, this silly putty or this goo. That's a monster, yeah, <laughs> right? 
Because he got the contract <laughs> for this cartoon, right? Yeah. And he made all the uh, the toys for it. And, uh, well, so so the, the cartoon eventually fails, and uh, but but it gets a cult following, right? And so uh-huh. in, in in the modern day, it's going to have a resurgence. And yeah, yeah. So right, that that page there. Yeah, you could see. Um, yeah, the 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 kind of bloopy one. This guy back here, right? Yeah, and he's he's down in the front as well, off to the to the, the right. The, but uh, yeah, so then that guy there, he's kinda like an elephant and a right. So I just thought it'd be really neat, and it'd be some different giant monsters. And if you go back and you watch, like the guy, look, I grew up on Godzilla on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. Me and my dad would watch those while waiting for my mom to get ready uh, before we went to church or whatever. And so they always had these, you know, just weird or dumb monsters, <laughs> like Amara ones and the. I did. My brother watched Ultraman because he's he's like much younger than me. But so mm-hmm. all of those, they had the you know the guy in the rubber suit thing, and so that was part of the aesthetic I was going for with that as well. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, my my big one for that kind of stuff is uh, Power Rangers. Sure. Um, you know, I grew up with that. That's kind of like one of my favorite properties ever. But it was like there was a monster a week, and at the end of the episode, he was always going to grow up and be giant, and he was going to fight their giant robot. You know, for me, it and, was Battle of the Planets, which you probably G Force or Eagle Riders. Oh no, G Force. That sounds familiar, but I don't yeah. know about the other one. You brought it back uh, as as G Force or Eagle Riders or something like mm. that. I would run home, get off the bus, and I was mad when the bus was late and I'd miss that. And that was oh, one of yeah. the inspirations for Tex-Mex. Okay. Each of these characters, it was Science Ninja Team Gotchaman. Um, mm. And, uh, yeah, so, and they each had their own vehicle. And so yeah. that's what's going on here. And we're actually, we've got some other characters we're going to be introducing in the, the future stories. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, like like you were talking, like, kind of... Like, it's lighthearted and it's goofy, but there's plot and there's story. Like, Tex-Mex was the first one I read, and it has a cast of, like, five to make this giant robot work and all that, you know. And um, every character has, like, a personality and a story, you know. And, and I thought that was really cool because, like we've kind of described it, it's a lot of, like, Saturday morning, goofy, lighthearted fun. But you even took the time to give five people you know, a, a little light of their own so that they're all somebody individual. And so, right. So, so it's, it's, it's four uh, pilots right now. And each one is from a different area of Texas. So one's from the North, one's from the East, one's from the West and one's from the South. And I, I was unsure about putting some of those, uh, you know, there's funny phrases and things in there because I didn't mm-hmm. want people to think I was making fun of, but because of like the a character theory, or a stereotype, right, right? You know, so I, you know, I, I, well, like, you know, all the stuff that uh, Longhorn says, you know, there, there's a, 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 a wasp in the outhouse or, or a hornet in the yeah. outhouse or whatever, you know, all these little sayings, these cliches yeah. things that, you know, it can be taken the wrong way. But for me, if this was a cartoon set in the 1970s or, or that was produced in the 1970s rather, um, they would have done that. Yeah. There's an authenticity 
to that caricatureness and mm-hmm. there's no malice to it at all. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that was the time of uh, black exploitation and uh, spaghetti western. So right. you know, like this feels like 100 percent in line with that era. Yeah, you it's, know, it's kind of a love letter in that way. You mm-hmm. know, uh, yeah. But yeah, so uh, each of them, they definitely have like a, a, a different personality, and you know, being um, that wild catter is from East Texas, and right, so mm-hmm. football, right, Friday Night Lights. So his his thing is sports analogies, right? And uh, yeah, so th- that was a lot of fun writing that di- dialogue. I love writing dialogue. That is my favorite part of the writing process is mm-hmm. writing dialogue for the characters and kind of getting in their heads at what they're going to say. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I always talk about that because um, you know, like I I try to write, I try to put things together. I'm not nearly as uh, accomplished as yourself, but one thing I find is that, you know, if you start at this top level and you're like, okay, and you structure it and structure it and structure it, you get to this point where all that's really left is the dialogue, but you have your scenes, you know what needs to be said. And that's when it gets really fun because then it's just like pure creativity. Like I need to get from point A to point B, but Mm -hmm. I get to like, to me, like, cause sometimes I'll read a comic book and I'm like, the dialogue makes sense, but there's no poetry to it. Right. And I feel like that's what's missing is like, you really have to whittle it down and process it down to like, this is the dialogue. This is what it needs to say. And then you have fun finding the perfect like word economy and the perfect phrasing, you know? Yeah. And, and try not to repeat words too much. (laughs) People, people do that a lot. I find, well, in, in, in not the prose so much, but, uh, Try to find a different word because most people don't use the same word over and over in, in sentence after sentence. Um, yeah. I, that, that's one thing I try to do uh, with my writing. Though There was one part, there was one spot where I slipped and something got by me in the editing process because um, I had two different bits of dialogue for a character and I edited it and I left part of a phrase in there and afterwards, I was like, but that's okay, because he would say this like that. <laughs> that, that became a part of his character, and it kind of built yeah. on his character. And that, the happy accidents, the Bob Ross happy accidents, right? <laughs> great when you can find them, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's one thing that I would say about all of these, that um, every character is unique and distinct, and that comes through, like, in the voice, you know? It's not just... Payment. Yeah, like you put, you can put Taffy Jack in any of these books in any of these locales and like, uh, or even Mudbug. Like Mudbug had one of the most distinct voices out of all these characters. You know, I was like, you could put this guy in the middle of Antarctica and he would still sound like this. Um, You know, like you just put so much character into those, the dialogue, you know. Fun, fun, fun story. Uh, At one convention I was doing, because, uh, you know, when I'm doing conventions, I'm mostly doing them in Texas and Louisiana in this area. Uh, and so my pitch is it's local. You know, it's something you're going to relate to. And so this one guy came up. And it, so, you know, how so there's like part or partner or partner. When Louisiana, a lot of people say partner. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I put that in there. Uh, and the guy is flipping through the book and he sees the, the panel where the character says Padna, and he's like, "All right, I'm buying it. You got me at Padna." And so that was that was just that, that was like an epic moment, right? You know, yeah. 
another great moment was uh, when I was at a, a library doing a show at a library in my hometown. And this young boy was reading Taffy Jack. And you could just see he related to the character. Mm. And he turned to his mom and asked her for it. And she's like, you you want that? And, and they bought the book. And that was just, man, that got me right there, you know, because yeah. I wrote that book for him in a lot of ways. And that it found the audience it was intended for like that. There, There's nothing better than that. It was yeah, just, that's amazing. amazing. Yeah, it really was. Yeah, it, I mean, you can see those, though. Like, you can see when somebody connects with something or really yeah. understands something. And, yeah, that's that's an awesome feeling to to be able to witness that as the creator, you know? Yeah, it really was. I mean, that, that, wow. that made – and that was actually one of the best shows I did because it was free. Mm. <laughs> and I, I wish more – I wish more – of these um, conventions would, uh, I don't know. There needs to be like a grant or something to get indie creators in these shows because mm-hmm. it, it's so expensive to do the shows. Right. And yeah. um, I actually got, uh, I had reached out to by some conventions and they invited me, but of course they wanted me to, to pay for the table and all this. I, you know, I politely declined. Uh, yeah. Because, man, you, you've already got the cost of producing your book, which is it's razor thin margins. And mm-hmm. then you've got the cost of going to these shows, uh, your table. Uh, if it's out of town, you're probably be spending a night somewhere. And it just it completely devours your budget, which is why I'm trying to do the crowdfunding thing. Yeah. I figured well- I'd do some books to prove that I could do it and then take it to the masses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one thing that's always got me is like these conventions, they're charging you to be there, mm-hmm. but then they're also charging the the people to be there, you know? They're trying to make their money. Yeah, and that's the one thing that gets me. Like, shouldn't shouldn't the audience, the people, I mean, you're going to a movie, you're paying for it, so like us going in should be paying for it, but we should be going to see creators, you know, so therefore they should – shouldn't the convention be bringing the creators in on for free to attract the people the to come in the door, you know, like, and they do, they do with the big names mm-hmm. and then they fill it out with the, the rest of us plebeians, you know, uh, yeah. but, but it's unfortunate. Great. I would like to see the convention, like curating their guest list so that they're wonderful. attracting the kind of audience they want, you know, right. For sure. Uh, but regardless, and it, it's still a great opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, I've I've met people and I've I've gotten fans of the, the books through conventions, probably more than anything. Um, it's just it's hard to pick the right show uh, mm-hmm. heroes because, like I said, my angle is local. Right. So I learned I had a really hard time pitching my books in North Carolina. And I, uh, I found. Oh, yeah. You told uh, me a little about that. Yeah. 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 It, it, that was that. And that's that show because we had to fly out there and, and it's a, a long show and hotel and, and all of that. Because uh, a lot of shows I do locally, I have a little uh, camper. And so I'll stay in my camper. Um, and so it's a lot cheaper uh, than getting yeah. a hotel room. But, uh, yeah, that, that depleted a lot of my funds doing that show. And I was really hoping because that's one of the biggest shows that's not 
uh, all about media, right? It's not mm-hmm. about movies and TV and stuff. It's just about comics. Yeah. So I was really hoping that we'd do well there. We did not do well there. So that mm-hmm. kind of put me behind uh, on getting the books out. Yeah. Yeah, that's unfortunate but, uh, because I really like the product. I think you have a great product here. Um, you know, admittedly, yeah, it's kind of uh, a local fair, you know, but. But I think. Uh, that- I think you can you can enjoy the stories from anywhere. It's just an added bonus if you're local. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By no means is it um, only something that applies here. Yeah. Uh, it just makes it. I don't know. It hits in a different way whenever you sure. like recognize where he's running with that bomb. You know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so that stuff's really cool. I'm really glad that um, you know you have found success. I mean, I'm sitting here with three books for a reason. Right. For sure. Um, you know, so I'm glad you have found success. I'm really excited for. Um, where you can go and what you have going on. Um, so right now you're doing an Indiegogo for uh, Taffy Jack number two. two. But you can also get, um, so there's tiers there where you can get a copy of the first print of Taffy Jack number one. Um, I've got about 10 copies that are, so so when, when we did the print run on that, one box got damaged. And so I have some copies with damaged corners but I've got about 10 copies that are from the other boxes left. So those are in the higher tiers. Um, There is going to be a reprint of number one. That'll be the same cover, but in purple to match number two, because the backgrounds on number two are purple. Uh, There's two covers for number two. So there is a cover uh, that's uh, wrestling centric and we've put a spot on the cover for some backer, which that's been bought, actually. Somebody bought that spot. Oh, okay. We'll get to be a character in the book and on the cover. Then, Yeah, and then there's a spot that somebody's got as well where they get to be a character in the book and have a speaking role. And then we've got several spots where people can be in a crowd scene. And we've still got some of those spots left. So that's one cover. And then there's another cover which is the one that I plan on distributing to comic shops. Uh, And that's uh, the blurb on it is about the saint of the parish who you met at the end of number one, and we're paying that off in number two. Um, So you'll get to meet that character. Yeah. He's fun. And uh, yeah. I I imagine. So he's one of them, like in that poster that I was talking about and stuff, he's one of them that stood out to me immediately. I was like, I want to read about that guy. Yeah. Yeah. So he'll be in this one. Um, so I'm kind of in in the stories, the first story is the origin. The second story is the superhero misunderstanding. And the third story is the superhero team up, right? So one, two, and three. So we're kind of hitting some of those things. I thought it'd be fun to do it that way. Um, sorry. So then there's, there's two covers for number two. We're also offering Tex-Mex and, uh, Human Press Presents, going with Mudbug. Um, so you can get a bundle of all the books, and you can, you know, get caught up right there and read everything we've put out so far. Uh, we've also got um, some trading cards, which uh, I actually made real wax paper wax packs, and nice. so at that level you get, and they actually have what's neat. They actually have uh, <laughs> two different <laughs> backs to the packs. 
So oh, one of okay. them has a fake ad for a T-shirt, and the other one has an ad for the comics. Um, you get both packs, and it makes a set of cards, which uh, it comes with a piece of chewless gum with a B. Don't chew it. Don't choke on it. Don't sue me. I was going <laughs> to ask you about that. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it's it's foam, but it looks like a piece yeah. of bubble gum. I saw well, yeah, like all those old cards came with uh, a little piece of right. bubble gum in exactly. them. Yeah, I was, was going to ask if you did that. <laughs> then there are in the packs three sketch cards. Uh, so, like I was saying, I w- used to go to the conventions and get sketches, and so I contacted uh, some folks from Louisiana who I'd gotten sketches from, who I've, uh, like one of them was Cody Chamberlain, who I did that story with, uh, that one page. Uh, and I said, hey, I got these sketches. And I want to put them on trading cards. Is that okay? And they all graciously allowed me to. And so it's like you went to a convention and got a sketch, right? Uh, yeah. And then you also get a blank one so that you can, and I call them sketch-o-matic. Uh, <laughs> you see that at the bottom. Um, oh, yeah. Right. So you can either draw it yourself or the next time you get to go somewhere, you could get somebody to draw on it. Or if somebody really wants me to do it, uh, you could send it to me with a self-addressed stamped envelope and I would uh, happily put some ink on it uh, for you. Um, and then That's awesome. for sure, man, I, I'm all about taking care of the fans. Yeah. Uh, now, I'm better at doing stuff digitally because there there's things that will help me and I don't have a steady of a hand. Uh, but again, I'd be happy to do it. So then there's story cards, which I, I liken to the old like Star Wars cards where you got a frame oh, yeah. movie, right? And so these are yeah. from the first issue of the comic. And on the backs, there are some of the cards have like a little write-up about the character, which you actually learn right here what the aunt's name is. Um, and then there's a, you know, there's a piece of art for her there, but some of the cards nice. have a puzzle. So nine of the cards have a puzzle and that's all I'm going to show you of the puzzle. Cause I want people to be able to open these and be surprised and delighted. Right. And be able to put that puzzle together. And that's when they find out what it is. Right. Yeah. What it's like, um, so the, the artwork in, in the set is Greg, uh, Warren Chack. Um, and here's one that I put in there just for you, man. That's okay. awesome. Yeah. I figured I could, I could put a Tex-Mex one in there since it's, you know, the show in the, uh, but anyway, uh, yeah. Greg did all this artwork and then there's two cards by a fellow named, uh, Lee Gaston who, uh, does this art is on the back of Taffy Jack number one. And, um, I forget what I call these, um, Stat Blast. And so I have some on the back of the card, right? I have some stats, little power meter type thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right? Which I made I did, I made it kind of uh, ambivalent. Like it, it, it makes sense for the characters, but I didn't put like numbers because I didn't want anybody to go, well, he's a number 10 in this and you yeah, run was, that, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I was going to say you run into problems with like yeah, exactly. more powerful. Yeah. It's but but that, just the idea that – they do that kind of on uh, like the tops baseball cards, right? right? And they used to do it on the Marvel cards. Oh, uh, okay. Right, the Marvel Universe cards that had the holograms. I'd love to have done some holograms for these. Uh, but yeah, so that's that's a fun thing. That's one of the levels. Um, 
you can also get uh, there's a level where I'll do a drawing for you uh, and I'll do it digitally at high resolution and you can print it out. And um, if it's one of your characters, you can use it for something if you want. Um, and I've got some examples of some of my art on the, um, the campaign page. I do um, art and design for uh, a liquor store here in Houston oh, okay. uh, for their labels. Oh yeah, you've posted these on. Uh, yeah. yeah, I post okay. those sometimes, and I've actually I've got one I got to work on this week. Um, those are a lot That's of awesome. fun. Yeah, yeah uh, there was one with a pig, right? That's the main well, one I remember. The story is the blind pig, so they all have a pig. Just okay. Uh, so okay. That's, and so I've got to take that character and and put it in different situations. That's a lot of fun. Yeah, really. that's awesome. Uh, <laughs> and and so he likes to. Do we do like parodies of movies and TV shows with with it? And uh, sometimes he takes a, a jab at some of the other liquor stores. We did <laughs> one one time where um, it was a, a Game of Thrones themed one, where where uh, basically the pig is Jon Snow and <laughs> made the Specs Bunny the White Walker zombie. In the oh, back. nice! So, yeah, I, I, I just I love putting little things, you know. Yeah. In, so yeah so artwork and uh you know i know i i gave some stipulations on it but that's just to keep people in check because some people just yeah yeah but uh i'm pretty easy to work with so yeah i was gonna say within reason like yeah i don't imagine you're gonna have any problems who's Mm -hmm. gonna ask for something ridiculous don't don't let any of that scare you off uh yeah yeah you go oh um i'm excited though i like uh trading cards and stuff that's become a thing like there's a lot of people that uh are doing original trading cards and stuff now like that. So I definitely need to get some of those because I really like that. For sure. And um, I've already printed, we're we're only doing 30 sets of the cards and I've already printed the cards and I'm working on making the wrappers. So God forbid the campaign doesn't make it. I'll still have those cards available in some form. Awesome. Um, Back the campaign, please. Yeah. (laughs) I was going to say you're a, how much? How much is your campaign asking for? Uh, Twenty one hundred. Twenty one hundred. And yeah. where are you at now? Nine three. And we've got, uh, a little less than two weeks left. Um, okay. But we're we're looking to give you a, a bookmark, which is uh, two sided, and I'd like to actually do a series of these uh, because this is actually kind of like his uniform, right? Mm-hmm. It's like the belt and the emblem. And so I would, the next one I would do would be the saint of the parish. If we did another and do the same thing with his emblem and his belt, you know, as if you're a close up on them and then put yeah. him inside doing something. That's, that's the plan for that anyway. Um, that's awesome. This is a prototype of some stickers that I'd like to do for it. And they would be kiss cut so that you could do something like this with them if you wanted to. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, they won't be waterproof, but, uh, you know, they're pretty good. <laughs> yeah. It's important. You know, I don't, somebody might go and put it on their car. Wow, this <laughs> cool. But, um, and then there is the Taffy Jack uh, Stretchomatic board game, which I would love to get out to people because it's actually a lot of fun. It's a quick game, takes uh, about 10, 15 minutes. Um, you might compare it to something like shoots and ladders. Uh, you, <laughs> away, you move around. If you land on 
like the white square with the yellow dot, it will send you back depending on your roll, how far. If you land on the white square with the red dot, it'll send you forward. And again, depending on your, your roll, uh, it goes with evens and odds. Um, so you go, if you, if you go, if you get an even roll, you go half what you rolled. So if you roll a two, you go one in whatever direction. Oh, okay. um, and then there's some special spots and you will think you are winning and you will end up in last place. It's, <laughs> it's pretty neat. And, uh, but we'll have some, um, some, God dog it there. Some yeah. <laughs> hard points that you cut out to make tokens <laughs> to move around. And there's four different Taffy Jack tokens. That's um, awesome. Yeah, it's it's and I'm I'm telling you, look, when I designed it, I didn't know, right? And then yeah. we sat down and played it and we're like, holy crap, this is fun. <laughs> and so we tested it and we changed the rules a little and then we played it like a four player game and a two player game and all of this. And it, it holds up pretty good. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's like I said, I like games that are quick because I don't feel like I have a lot of time <laughs> to, to play games. So, you know, yeah. like when things started getting into the complicated video games, I thought it was really cool at first. And then I found that, man, I don't want to spend all afternoon walking to the next town <laughs> to, to do it. The first thing I got to do, I don't have time for that. Yeah, enjoyment out of it. So for me, quick games are better. And so that's this is a, a you know it's a, like I said, 10, 15 minutes, and you'll be done, and you might want to play it again because it's it's pretty. Fun. Yeah, yeah, I'm the same way. But uh, I was just talking about this today because my um, <clears throat> my sister was asking what to get the kids for Christmas, you know, yeah. and so Roblox uh, these Roblox cards came up, you know, and it's like points you buy to get money in a video game so that you don't have to work to earn this money. Well, my kids play Roblox, right? They are, they are playing a game where like you live in a town and you have a job and you go to work. And uh, whenever they're not at work, they're building houses. And it's like, I mean, my kids have been building their houses for like two weeks and they, Every day the clock resets, so they like in the morning they go and they like go to work and they like yeah in the game like and they're making pizza and stuff to make money so that they can go buy material to build more of their house. And I'm like, why don't y'all just do this in real life? Like this is the <laughs> point where like you know like that digital reality is creeping in. I see it now. Like they're right. doing things people do in the real world in a video game using real life time. Right. Yeah. And interesting. You know, so my, my sister's like, what should I get them? Would they like this Roblox card? I'm like, of course they would, because you're basically giving them cash because <laughs> that's money. They would have to work at their digital pizza job to make digital money. And you're giving them a card that gives them that digital money without the job. So they're just going to go buy more lumber to build their house. You know, <laughs> Hey, there's something for everybody. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not dissing those games. I, I they're just mm -hmm. not for me for sure. Uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, I grew up on video games, but I've fallen away from them because it's just like you said. I mean, it's getting so complicated. It feels like people are living real lives inside of the video games at this point. I picked up one of those uh, those arcade one-ups of like Pac-Man and when they were in clearance and mm -hmm. stuff. And so I enjoy playing those because, you know, you yeah. the game for, and feel like you, you did something, but it doesn't take up, you know, your whole afternoon. Um, yeah. 
for sure. Speaking of games, we're also working on a Tex-Mex card game. Ooh. Yeah, uh, that's uh, in the playtesting stages. I can't wait for it to be done. Uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, so it'll be, um, you'll get to play each of them next, right? You can pick one or you can play cooperatively. Um, we're trying to set it up where it can be a one-player game or a mm-hmm. multiplayer game. And then you will go against the monsters, okay? Uh, in in a successive order to you, you know, get to the the top monster. Then, and if we can get that out, and it does all right, we've already kind of planned for a like an expansion pack. Um, oh, nice! Yeah, and yeah, I, I like uh, I like like trading card games and uh, like deck building games and stuff. Right. Like that's always been a, a hobby and a pastime of mine. And I built like a prototype game, kind of like you're describing, uh, using Power Rangers. And nice. it was kind of like a, a monster would attack. And so then you would like fight them using like deck building mechanics. Mm-hmm. And it could be like just you versus the monster, like a solo mode. Or you could have somebody on the other side of this monster trying to out, you know, beat it right. before you and stuff, you know. Yeah, for sure. Um, so this won't be um, – it, it'll be like fixed cards. So it won't be like packs to buy. It'll just be like yeah. – and you get everything you need to mm-hmm. right from there. Um, but hopefully we can get to that. that that'd be really cool. I, I, I love the idea of it, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. Like you have this whole like <laughs> – I don't want to say universe, you know, because there is a universe of characters here, but – you know, like, it reminds me of, uh, you know, kind of like Skybound, you know, like, first and foremost, they're doing comics, but they also have, like, a board game division, right. you know, and they, they do card games and all this stuff, you know, like, it's kind of becoming what these, uh, I guess, like, nerd in- enterprises are kind of becoming is well a one-stop shop for everything in-universe, you know. As far as comics go, it's really weird because comics are relatively expensive to produce uh whereas some of this other stuff is less expensive to produce but people will pay more for it uh, a perfect example is the um the prints the posters at conventions mm. right yeah you know, artists there and they're charging like 20 bucks for a print okay <clears throat> so the cost on that you know, it's his time to draw it. Mm-hmm. And he, well, he's got to put a price on that. And if he hires somebody to color it, then there's the cost of that. But if he colors it himself. So the printing itself, especially if they do it at a, a large quantity, and it doesn't have to be that large of a quantity, on nice paper. I'm not talking thin paper. I'm talking like a nice uh, heavyweight stock. I'm all about the tactile with this stuff. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It's not that much. It's like for me, okay, and I don't print that many. I can print them for like a dollar. Yeah. Right? So whereas a comic book, right, is depending on where you go, two something to three something a piece to print at the smaller quantities, okay? And then you got to think about all the people you got to pay to make that. Um but people will look at a $5 comic book and be like, oh, it's not worth it. When it's got a hundred different drawings in it, but then they'll look at a poster, you know, it's got one drawing and say, yeah, I'll, I'll pay 20 bucks for that. Um, I've had discussions about that. And uh, one, one thing somebody's uh, 
conjectured is that, well, a poster is a passive experience, right? Whereas a comic book is an active experience. And that's wherein the difference lies and why they have a different value on it. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's so that's so, strange though, because I would rather pay for an active experience, you know? Well, I guess they feel like they're maybe they're going to like you buy MP3s or you buy a CD, right? And that's mm-hmm. a passive experience. You put that on while you're doing something else. And it's something that repeats, right? You do it over yeah. and over. Whereas a comic book, you might not read it as many times. Uh, a poster you're going to have on the wall and you're going to see it over and over. So I guess that's where that value is. But yeah. as a creator, uh, especially, uh, I kind of call myself a micro publisher. Um, <laughs> at that level, you're looking for those things that you can produce more cheaply mm-hmm. and sell for a higher price to offset the cost of making the IP, right? The intellectual property, which is the comic. Uh, yeah. So you can put that money back into that. And yeah. Or another thing like that. Mm-hmm. Um, can, yeah, it's almost like uh, like a loss leader, you know, like exactly. You know, I need to to take a hit here because this is what I really want to do, but I can right. make it up, you know, everywhere yeah. else. Exactly. You know that that is interesting though, because like in Japan, um, like the 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 manga industry and stuff, mm-hmm. um, that's very much like if you write for like say Shonen Jump, you know big deal publisher they're putting out stories every week and they're selling millions of copies and the way that they pay the people that actually write and draw the stories is like a livable wage you know like this can be your full-time job but you're not going anywhere Mm -hmm. but you know so that would be kind of like being a, a writer for you know marvel or something you're making your livable wage but all of these characters that are created and stuff that are in your stories you retain they return they retain the rights to them except uh merchandising rights those stay with the uh creator wow so like like marvel would own the stories and the characters but everything yep. that would every plush toy of deadpool for instance you know like you get paid off of that as the creator right well, and, and you get a much heavier yeah, weight yeah. of that so i mean I, I, I think you should definitely take care of the, the people who, who do these things, right? But at the same time, I understand that uh, they're taking the financial risk. So they, mm-hmm. they, that, that's, that's how the free market economy works. The person who mm-hmm. puts the money in gets the, the greatest reward. That's, yeah. Now, you can have a debate on, you know, if that's the best system or not, and that's not something mm-hmm. I would get into. There's people far smarter than me who... who have a better take on it than I would, but uh. yeah. Yeah. It still provides a system where like your superstar creators are kind of going to benefit the most, you know, because yeah. if you invented Pikachu, well, <laughs> you got it made. There's a Pikachu plushie on every bed, you know? Right. Um, whereas if your series was just barely getting by and staying, you know, relevant, then you're just going to make your livable wage and whatever little bit of extra, That's you know, nice. but nice. I, yeah. I was actually earlier today looking at it. There's a grant out there for independent comic, you know, small publishers like me. And I'm like, okay, maybe I need to apply for this grant, you know, <laughs> help, help uh, pay for some of this. So, yeah, for sure. No, it'd be, it'd be nice if, if, <laughs> if the system were set up like that here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I just, I don't know. It's always kind of rubbed me the wrong way that like, 
if you're Rob Liefeld or McFarland or something, you know, like you're not getting any more cuts of characters you created when you mm-hmm. were working under the big guys, you know, you're, right. you're, you're getting paid off of spawn, you know, like, and that's kind of crazy to me that they're creating these superstar characters for these big giant corporations and other than name recognition and fandom, like you wouldn't even know. I, I, I'd be surprised if the ones, the examples you've given are not getting something. Off oh of yeah. Because I know in the the seventies and eighties, uh, Jim Shooter did a lot to, to get people um, royalties and, and stuff over at Marvel. So uh, mm-hmm. and he's a great guy to talk to. I yeah. uh, show that he was at and uh, he just has all these great stories. I actually gave him a copy of Taffy Jack number one. And, oh, nice. Uh, yeah. And uh, the next day I happened to pass by, his, I was going to bring a piece of art that I did for somebody to their booth and I happened to pass by when, um, he didn't have anybody there for a moment. So I said, Hey, uh, what did you think? And he said, it was good. And I was like, really? And he was like, yes. <laughs> so I was like, hell yeah. Right. Right. And, yeah. Recognition. <laughs> yeah, sure. that That's was, awesome. Yeah. That was pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, even if he said like, it wasn't very good, you would no, still be like, been... at least he read it, you know? <laughs> yeah. You got it. Constructive feedback is always good, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, you like I said, you're you're sitting in your little hut or your little cave, doing this stuff in kind of a vacuum, and uh, until other people look at it, you and, and tell you what they think, it's always nice when it comes politely. I've had some people <laughs> who aren't so polite, uh, but that's just part of it. Um, but it's good to get that feedback for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's some awesome, them, man. Some of them were even relatives. <laughs> uh, I had hey, a, sometimes I, they know how to give the uh, the best feedback, though yeah. they know exactly where to send it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Cool. Um, well, I mean, anything else you have on your mind? Uh really. I mean, you know, just trying to get that that out there, um, fight that algorithm. And uh, get the book in oh, front of you. Uh, do you know all your handles and stuff? Instagram, Twitter? Right. So, um, I, I run two accounts. Um, I run one for Humid Press. And that's on on Facebook and Instagram. It is just Humid Press. On Twitter, it is Humid underscore Press. Because there's some guy who's into politics who put there before me. Um and it's funny because when I when I picked the name for Humid Press, he wasn't even using the account. He had it, but he wasn't posting anything. And then, you know, when I decided to go, I'm like, oh man. Uh, anyway, so there's that, and that's that's just centric to I do the sketchbook jambalaya there, and I do like announcements for for the books and, and things like that. Uh, then for me personally, I do E A Bear Art, and that's H E B E R T. Um, and that's the same on all three platforms and I do process stuff on there. Rough sketches a lot. I love rough sketches because that's where all the possibility is. Uh, if you look behind me, um, you can see this piece here. I could have got that inked when I got it, but whenever an artist gives me the opportunity to take it home raw, I will every time because there's so much information still in that. 
yeah you know where it could go so i i like to do stuff like that i also post like the labels i showed you earlier mm-hmm. and you know just a, a, a little m- bit more of the personal side that's not directly devoted to the the comic book itself yeah you know? i figured one is a place like if i post somebody else's art from these sketches but it's my name art right it seems disingenuous to me. I probably overthink it. Uh, <laughs> so that's why I set up two different things. Yeah. And so there's the website, humidpress.com. Um, so you can find those stores that, that carry the books. And if they're out of stock, I'll be happy to restock them. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, um, well, I did have where you could order online, but uh, I took that down during the campaign because I didn't want to have to worry about my inventory mm-hmm. and then selling one online and then I don't have it to fulfill the campaign or whatever. So I took yeah. those links down, but I'll put them back up after the campaign so you can order. Yeah. I would suggest and, the same anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the bad thing is with, with single issues like that, when you're, you're shipping something like that, it's going to cost probably $3 in postage uh, for like parcel or first class rate. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I am really a stickler for uh, trying to protect the books in transit. Um, I don't use those Gemini deals yet. Yeah. Uh, but I have a, a method that has survived multiple trips through the um, postal service. I use a chipboard and oh, okay. tape the comic book into the chipboard so that it stays away from the edges and mm-hmm. I put two pieces of chipboard sandwiched around it and put it in a, a big envelope and uh, send it out that way. And uh, so far, I haven't had any uh, problems. The chip yeah. keeps it from being dented or bent. Now, the, the envelope will be shredded when it gets there. <laughs> but the comic has made it. So, yeah. I And I do have some some packaging that's sort of like the Gemini's, but it's bigger to send mm-hmm. prints in and yeah, you know, I can send. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like that. I've done that before as well. Yeah. The Gemini mailers are really nice, but they come I with thought, the, yeah, a bit of a cost. Yeah. They're like what? 50, 55 cents. And of course you got to, you know, factor that into, you know, I can't eat that cost. So I <laughs> yeah. on, right. So um, yeah, if we, if we do enough on the, um, the Indiegogo, I, I'll get some of those. Because yeah, you know, I, I want to make sure that people get what they paid for. That's, yeah, that's to me, for sure. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that's awesome. Um, I mean, that's the worst thing, you know, is something getting damaged or messed up in shipment. Um, so it's always good to work with somebody who has that experience shipping it because sure. that way you know it'll arrive in good condition. And I had a guy who uh, bought a, a copy of Taffy Jack from me uh, at a show. And when he got home, there was a problem. You know, I can't look in every copy of the book. And there was a problem inside the book, and he let me know. So I replaced it for him. You mm-hmm. know, that That's – you take care of the people who take care of you, right? You know I mean? That's, yeah, yeah. That's, that's how you do things. I, I don't yeah, know that's the only good way to run a business that I know yeah. of. So, <laughs> right. yeah, so. you got to take care of those people because sure. that's your lifeline. Yep, 100%. Awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, it's been a blast talking to you, and uh, I'm really excited to get this one out and get it posted. I think my excitement shows for how much I like your work, and uh, really excited for what you got going on, man. I really want this Indiegogo to take off and to do, uh, you know, work wonders. 
And yeah. so uh, I'm definitely going to push this out there. I appreciate it. Thank you so yeah. much. Yes, and thank sir. you to the people who watched this and took the time. And if you go look at the Indiegogo, there's a lot of information there. I just wanted to make sure I was thorough. And thank you for, for looking at it. If you take the time to go look at it, I really appreciate it. Awesome. All right.